0: This is your host, Heather Petropoulos, recording live from my home studio in Brooklyn, New York, bringing you the Photo Mixed Tapes podcast. Hello, my audience, and welcome to the 12th episode of season four, The Girl is All Right. This week's episode pays homage to women for International Women's Day from a couple of weeks ago for Women's History Month running all month long, and just for my own heart and mind thinking about all of the amazing identified women who inspire me in every way and every day. First and foremost, so that the language and the impetus behind this episode is understood, when I say women and feminine and female, I am referring to anyone who identifies as any of these things. All are welcome and seen here. Though I was ready to present the next chapter of the story Please Respond By in this episode, due to the terrorist act of hate against Muslims praying in New Zealand this past week, coupled with the violent nature of the story, I decided it best to hold off on the chapter for this episode. I will be presenting the finale of the story the next time we're together in its entirety, exclusively and only for that episode. There will be two reviews presented of two very different film experiences instead. Track one will be an exploration, more than tips, an exploration of female gender related to imagery and film. When you see a film directed by a woman, is there a difference? Can you tell? Are the photographs taken by female photographers generally easy to guess or classify? What stands out, if anything? These will be the least tip-driven creation tips probably ever, since I'm really asking questions I don't necessarily have the answers to. Let's play in this idea sandbox together. I'll be reviewing Period, End of Sentence, the documentary that won the Oscar for Best Documentary Short Subject. It's only 25 minutes short, but it's easily one of my favorite films of the year, for many reasons— I suppose I don't necessarily need to state how a documentary about menstruation focusing on girls and women aligns with this week's theme. I will be tackling a more complex review of Captain Marvel and the surround of this film release and women in film in general. More of a stream-of-consciousness review this time around. Track one, an exploration of female gender related to imagery in film. Obviously, in this age of social media, there are very few secrets. Captain Marvel is, in fact, directed by a woman. That fact wouldn't have been difficult to guess, given its status as one of the few and brave female Marvel superheroes as the center of the movie. But with information overload, we no longer have to guess who is doing what. But think of the past and your own history— would you have guessed every time which image or film was helmed by a woman, just by experiencing it? What, if anything, makes imagery or film created by a woman or feminine? I don't really have answers to these questions, more questions than answers, really. Penny Marshall may have been an example of this theme in some way. I don't find it possible at all, in any little way, that a league of our own could have been directed by anyone other than a woman. There's just something about the interior lives of the characters and their relationship with the coach that couldn't have been pulled off outside of the experience of being a woman. The dialogue, the looks on their faces while making their mark on the team and on the sport of baseball was palpably female and feminine. As a woman, and as a woman who has played sports, I can identify with their experiences internally in ways that I can't explain— And I'm not sure, no matter how much research and sisters and mothers and friends who have had the same experiences, that a male director could have accomplished this level of truth. What about photography? Can you think of photographs made by women that really spoke to you as coming only from a woman or to be very feminine? I will be honest with you. When it comes to photography, as visual a person as I am... It's even more difficult for me to necessarily tell if a photograph was taken by a man or a woman. Take Annie Leibovitz, for example. Her photographs look like they could have been taken by anyone, in my opinion. Not to knock her photography at all, but it just seems untied to any gender or gender experience to me. I suppose to even explore this theme, we need to assume that genders have stereotypical points of view— which is not what I'm suggesting or saying for sure. What I'm suggesting is more ethereal than all of that. Can you guess who or what is behind the art you're experiencing from a gender perspective? Since we identify as a gender on a fluid spectrum of gender, does that inform our art as well as our lives? And if it does inform our visual work, does that then inform the exploration and experience of our work, depending upon the gender of our audience? But on the opposite end of the spectrum is Candy Cigarette by Sally Mann. That photograph of that ethereal young girl holding a candy cigarette like it's a real one, and like she has already lived the lifetime she is headed into, could only have been seen, held, and formed by a woman behind a camera. There's too much intimate understanding between them as subject and artist. All of the photographs in her collection at 12 could only have been accomplished when the person looking out could relate to the person looking in. That's as close as I can come to any kind of conclusion on this topic in general. As another more difficult exploration, take one of my favorite films, Tootsie. In my experience, Tootsie could have been directed by any gender, the directed by the late and great Sidney Pollack. There is such an amazing thread of feminine understanding and interior life, it's difficult for me to resign myself to the facts that the film was almost exclusively male in its impetus, writing, directing, and producing. I have to assume that Sidney Pollack not only had amazing examples and experiences of the feminine that he encountered in his own life— but that he was able to hold them steady and emote from them from behind the lens also. Maybe the answer is that to portray any gender with any reality, you have to either have experience as that gender yourself, or be so able and inclined to hold the experience of another so deeply inside of you that you can create from this place. Then comes the role of the audience. Our own genders influence our every experience— So maybe being the audience in this way is more at play than being the artist. We bring with us our entire lives when we walk up to a photograph or sit down to experience a film. And this gender within us and in our own eyes looking out might be even more important to the interpretation of imagery in film than the original impetus and creator's gender. Track two, a review of the film period, end of sentence. Wow, the film award season was all over the place for me. Check out my Oscar weekend film Valentine episode if you haven't already for all of that drama. But this film is absolutely perfect and deserving of its Oscar win for best documentary short subject. It hits all of the right notes and its weight after the screen goes black is more like a two hour film. I'm not going to do a spoiler warning because, as a documentary short subject, the trailer encapsulates anything that could be construed as a spoiler anyway. The premise is simple and poignant in and of itself. In India, women are shamed by men for having their periods, and they haven't had a system for proper period hygiene until the group of activists the film revolves around change all of that. With a documentary like this, at 25 minutes long as a final product, and surely well more than that in footage taken, every single second counts, and there's not a second of this film that's out of place. It's honest and raw, and every time the camera lingers on the face of a woman or girl, you can almost feel what she's feeling. Back to the previous track, that has so much to do with my own gender and experience also, I am sure but it doesn't take away from the perfect editing of this film. One of the nicest surprises in the film is the split second that reveals a man behind the manufacturing of pads for menstruation. The girls and women at the heart of the film definitely don't give up the center position in the film, but this sweet explanation he gives about how the pads are manufactured gives me hope for feminism men can be capable of, and for humans in general. Imagine being a man in India where the predominant viewpoint is that women are dirty when they have their period, and creating a manufacturing process to make maxi pads. There could definitely be a follow-up documentary about him alone. The second moment that captivated me was the moment when one of the women at the center of the film speaks directly about the cruel irony of praying to a female goddess, but living in a patriarchal society. I really like when a film asks a question of the audience that the creators don't really have the answer to. My last favorite moment from the film is when one of the women in the film is riding in a car and says that her neighbors think she is a movie star because they're filming her. To her and the other girls and women in the film, you are stars in this universe, film or no film. I am so grateful to the creators of this film for making it. It is a perfect little slice of life and human experience and deserves all the recognition it got and gets. And by the way, Netflix made this film possible. I would love to see Steven Spielberg and team make a film about periods. I'll wait. Track three, a review of the movie and reflections on Captain Marvel. I read a quote that really applies to my sentiments about this movie, and it's star Brie Lawson, as I was sitting down at my computer to write out my thoughts for this review. You're more than your work, but your work is still important. I don't even know who to quote because it was in one of those Twitter hazes of updates and photos and videos and snippets that spin you around until you forget where you started in the first place. But it stuck out to me. I feel like it applies to my own work within this podcast and having more going on than just my work, and sometimes feeling as though my work is only really seen or heard in this world when my efforts are great to create it. And I also feel like it applies to Brie Larson and her experience within the movie and outside of the movie. Obviously, I don't know her personally, but I can only experience her experience from afar. I love going to the movie theater for Marvel movies. I always go with my friend Tim, who is an absolute encyclopedia of Marvel knowledge from the comic books themselves to the movies already out and the movies not out yet at all. He knows his stuff, and I know I can bring my passerby confusion to him and understand all of the things I might have missed. For me, they're not a pastime as much as a distraction and an experience while I'm there. I've rarely ever opened a comic book, and I get really confused with all of the characters and their stories and how they might differ from the original. These scenes and stories don't really take up any of my time and energy other than when I'm in the theater and along for the ride. That said, I love the experience and the quest of good over evil every time I'm there. To place myself within the Marvel universe, if I had to pick a favorite hero among them— it would probably be Spider-Man overall, for powers and intellect and personality. Iron Man is my second choice in all of these same tenants. I'm less of a Thor and Captain America Grates on me a bit. Sorry, fans. Spider-Man and Iron Man are my two favorite standout alone movies among them also. I love Spider-Man's very human ties, his backstory, and his queen's upbringing— Even though I haven't seen all of the movies, I haven't watched all of Thor's or Captain America's standalones, and I haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp yet, either. I have appreciated the strong female characters that have been introduced, like Black Widow, the entire Black Panther female cast, and Pepper Potts, but I was also itching for a solo female lead hero for quite some time. It seems ridiculous that it took this long, but in a way it makes sense. Generally speaking, the women are women written and portrayed by men, directed by men, and shot by men. The women tend to be men's ideas of women versus just women, the affair versus the wife. Enter Captain Marvel, the wife. Most of the women who occupy superhero movies are there to support, attract, or take a sideline to the men. They're dressed in elaborate and sexy costumes and are usually not shot with their dialogue or what they have to say in mind. It's not that they're just two-dimensional, but when their other dimensions are revealed, it's if the men who wrote them into existence are allowing them to be powerful in other ways rather than them coming into their own in an organic way. Enter Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. She is a real woman who is allowed to explore her pain and her memories in a very organic way. It reminded me most of Superman's origin story if I had to pick one from any universe. She brings a subtlety to the role in the portions of the stories between arriving on Earth in 1995 and finally harnessing her full capacities. She plays a best friend, an aunt to her best friend's daughter, and a girl who had a rocky road of being pushed down and getting back up from her parental relationships forward. She is the most badass when she is playing this woman, Carol Danvers. For me, this movie lives two lives, one inside the screen and one in the world. I give this movie a 10 out of 10 for living in the world. Brie is a confident role model for young girls— she is an intelligent and compassionate human being, and she speaks her truth and role models' integrity and inclusion. The press corps for a movie opening like this is usually a bunch of young white men, and she insisted on including and gathering a more diverse group of journalists. She was and is truly walking the talk of a hero in real life. And the thanks, early pans of the movie, attacks on her personally. Brie Larson is a well-deserved Oscar winner for her role in Room. She is an outspoken critic of the film industry's lack of inclusion and diversity in front of and behind the cameras, and she had a hate campaign waged against her prior to the release of this movie. She is also taking on a monster of a persona in Captain Marvel, one of the most physically and mentally supreme beings in the Marvel Universe. She's occupying the real role of starring in central origin story Marvel Universe movie as a woman. She has a large part in making the movie a feminist manifesto of sorts from within. All but one of the key behind-the-scenes production, writing, and directing roles are filled by women. This should have been a time for her to shine and enjoy the ride. But instead, too many, mostly men, decided to ruin it and yet it broke every projection with an over $450 million opening weekend. The movie Inside the Screen, I will be honest, falls shorter than some of the other origin stories for me, and it falls shorter than some of the other Marvel movies in general. But unlike all of the drama surrounding this movie, none of that has to do with her. It has to do with the world she is thrust into on screen and the world of the audience and what they generally expect. The writing and decisions made about how quickly she goes from discovering that her greatest capacity is in being the young girl and the woman who had kept getting up when knocked down—a metaphor that exists for many of the women in the audience also—to flying through the universe is way too quick for her capacities to feel like a natural leap structurally. The greatest gift this movie could have utilized was right in front of them, Brie, the star, an Oscar-winning dramatic actress who could have handled anything they threw her way. She soared most when she was human and going through the struggles of rediscovering her forgotten past, interacting with Nick Fury on their journey together, and being a best friend to her almost forgotten best friend. Where she wasn't given enough meat on the bone of this production was when she was sent into the super orbits of her superpowers And, because she's going to be a pivotal part of Avengers' next installment, Endgame, this leaves us with an insecurity about her in this capacity. But I am not left with an insecurity about her real-life superpowers. For me, she joins the ranks of Robert Downey in his Iron Man glory, Spider-Man in his slightly awkward humanity, and definitely rises above many of the others. The mistakes made here that failed Captain Marvel came from not giving Brie enough to do, rather than in what she was given to do. I'm thrilled that we have expanded the life of Marvel outside of the screen to include more women, more diversity, and a risk in this movie. Now let's hope that better decisions were made in crafting Endgame to harness these new powers. Thank you, my lovely audience, for making it to the end of this episode and for waiting for it longer than you expected to wait. Regular listeners will know that I just recently moved into a bi-monthly schedule for the podcast, and I have had some growing pains managing the new schedule with all of the other new projects I have been immersing myself in. This is never meant to be perfect. It's meant to exist in all of its glorious imperfection. I appreciate you, my audience, and I appreciate that you appreciate this podcast for what it is. And happy St. Patrick's Day to all who are celebrating. You know, you can always reach out to me at Heather at photomixtapes.com or in a review of the podcast on iTunes. And until we meet again, I wish you the best sights, stories, and sounds as you create your own mixed media life.